we have the flip side of God being sovereign. And that is that man is responsible as well. That man has a responsible role to play in our dealings with God and in salvation, etc. Now, how do the two of these meet? No one knows, right? No one can answer this. If someone can tell you exactly, they know theologically how all this works out, man, they, they've, they've somehow figured out a mystery that not even Scripture totally tells us. And so I want us to go back to a, a quote I read from Charles Spurgeon, and I think it's helpful for us to kind of let our hearts settle and rest in a security that there can be both God being totally sovereign and man being responsible and have a responsible uh, ability to play. And so I'm going to read it to you guys this morning. It'll be up on the screens. This is what Charles Spurgeon says about these two truths, that God predestines and that man is responsible are two things that few can see. They are believed to be inconsistent and contradictory, but they are not. It is just the fault of our weak judgment. Two truths cannot be contradictory to each other. If then I find that in one place that everything is foreordained, that is true. And if I find in another place that man is responsible for all his actions, that is true. And it is my folly or my foolishness that leads me to imagine that two truths can ever contradict each other. These two, these two truths, I do not believe, can ever be welded into one upon any human anvil. But one they shall be in eternity. They are two lines that are so nearly parallel that the mind that shall pursue them farthest will never discover that they converge, but they do converge and they will meet somewhere in eternity, close to the throne of God, whence all truth doth spring, is what Charles. Man, such a great quote. Such a, such a good way of helping us understand that, that both God is both sovereign and man has a responsibility to the plane. Um, and so... Last week, the big encouragement for us was to see the sovereignty of God. And this week, what I'm not telling us is to forget the sovereignty of God, and then all of a sudden, you know, like, let's just uh, focus only on the responsibility of man. What we have to do this morning is hold both of those truths and tensions. But, but I would say this to us, there are dangers of us overemphasizing the sovereignty of God. There are times where we, you know, the obvious danger of that is where we just go, oh, God is sovereign, God decides everything, God's in total control, and so therefore me, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do anything in this world because it doesn't matter, right? And, and what Paul is going to help us see here this morning is that that's not true. And especially in a culture that loves to pass the buck, Right? We live in a culture that no one wants to take responsibility for anything. Or have you ever heard that kind of saying, that's not my job. I saw a picture of a road that had a line, you know, paint the lines on the side of the road. And there was a stick that was laying on the side of the road. And the guy that was painting it happened to just go around the stick like this and continue with his painting. Why? He's like, it's not my job to pick up the stick and move it. My job is to paint a line. We all want to pass the buck. My teenagers want to pass the buck all the time, right? Hey, whose day was it to, to water and feed and pick up the dog poop today? 
Uh, it was my day. Well, how come there's dog poop on him? Well, because I had this and this and this. And if you wouldn't have made me do this, then I would have been able to pick up the dog poop. As if somehow it's my fault that when it even has word Asia, Saturday and Sunday, right? Dog poop, all right? We love to pass the buck. What I love about Romans 10 is it doesn't let us play victim. To God. It doesn't allow us to say, well, I didn't know. It doesn't allow us to say things like, if I would have had this situation, if I would have rocked out to this guitar sound, if I would have, this would have taken place, then, then I would have known. And Romans 10 just speaks against those things. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at I think what Paul helps us do is understand there's, there's about four or five things in here that man is responsible for while God's still being sovereign. And the first one is this. Number one is that we have a responsibility to not establish our own righteousness. Now, that's a big number. That's a big, long point, okay? But let's explain it here. And this is what Paul says in Romans 10, verses 1 through 3. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them. Who is he speaking about? He's speaking about the Jewish people, his Israelite, his kinsmen. Remember, he said, I wish that they would all be saved. Is that they may be saved. Verse 2, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, this is what it says, and seeking to establish their own They did not submit to God's righteousness. Now, I don't know if you read this, but there's a couple of things here that stood out to me in particular that were highlighted and things that I I tend to do and I think we as the church are guilty of many times is one that we have, often what we we confuse for our salvation, what we confuse for counting to God is one is our zeal, our religious zeal, our passion, right? So you, you, may, you may be part of a church community, and you may be extremely passionate about it. But what Paul says here, he says, that's not counting to us for a righteousness. The other thing is there might be sincerity on our part. You may be extremely sincere about your righteousness, about the way that you want to get to God, about the structure that you understand that will lead you to God. But both of those, Paul says here, actually don't count for anything. And you know how, no, you know how Paul knows this for sure? Is that Paul was extremely zealous. Paul was extremely sincere in his religion in his Judaism, so much to the fact that he actually would go through the church, the New Testament church, and try to take out people who called themselves Christians because he was so passionate. He was so sincere about his Judaism. And then what happens on the way to Damascus, we all know the story. We've said it many times through the book of Romans, is that God confronts Paul and meets him where he's at, kicks him off his horse, and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? It is Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. In, in spite of Paul's sincerity and passion. See, what we often try to do in this creating our own way to God is that we somehow default towards a religious stance. 
Yeah, I don't know if you picked up on this here at Southlands, but what we often preach almost every Sunday morning is the gospel, right? It's the good news of Jesus. And sometimes people will will criticize that or kind of say, hey, we need to move on to bigger and better things when we're in, like, we already know the gospel. That's why I'm a Christian, for God's sake, right? And I would say, no, friends, the reason why we remain who we are is because of the truth of the gospel. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to go back to the truth of the gospel. And so what we have to understand is there's this difference between the religion side and there's a difference between the truth of the gospel side. And so we need to create this contrast. And that's what Paul's helping us understand. He says, you are responsible in God's sovereignty to one, understand that you cannot create your own righteousness to God. You cannot create your own ways, your own methods of getting to God. That's what religion is. And this is quoting from a a Jewish rabbi who's teaching his pupil how to religiously get to God. He says this, the basic question about religion is how to elevate man and bring him closer to God. Our role in religious purpose is to obey God's laws. We exercise our free will by proper intention and through having done good deeds are elevated so that it becomes progressively easier and more natural to continue to do good. Now, if we read that without gospel lenses on, I almost read that today and go, or when I was studying this week and go, what's wrong with that? That's some good stuff. It seems really right. But the whole purpose of this encouragement is to elevate ourselves up to God, as if somehow we have the power to do that in our own strength. And we know the gospel teaches us the otherwise, that it's God who reaches down to us, that it's God in spite of who we are in our sin, reaches down to us and pulls us up. It's not us being able to elevate ourselves. And this is why we say Christianity is something that's done to you. It's not something you do. You're not a Christian because you do Christian stuff. You, you can't say, hey, are you a Christian or not a Christian? Oh, I'm a Christian. Why are you a Christian? Because I go to church. Why are you a Christian? Because I give to the church. Why are you a Christian? Because I smile a lot at, at people. Why are you a Christian? Because I think nice thoughts about God. Why are you a Christian? Because I try to do less bad stuff and I try to do more good stuff. None of that makes you a Christian. That's just, that's just humanity, right? The thing that makes you a Christian is that God came into your world, disrupted all your efforts, and broke in past the walls that you put up, broke in past your sin, and rescued you from that life. You, you didn't do it. God came in and rescued you. And so that's why we say Christianity is not something you do. Christianity has been done to you. So Paul tells us, listen, it's not because of your own righteousness. You're responsible to know that it's based on the work of Christ. And he continues this in verse 4. He says, for Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, here it is, all who believe in him are made right with God. There's a, there's a reasonable responsibility that we have is to believe in him. And if we go all the way back to Romans chapter one, Paul tells us that man is without excuse to believe in God. Why? Because nature shouts it out all the time. Nature tells us there's a God. I love this quote by, by John Calvin. He says, the first step in obtaining the righteousness of God 
is to renounce our own righteousness. Man, how opposite of that is that do we live every day? That's a struggle. Every day we want to build up our own self. We want to build up our own righteousness. But in order to obtain what we actually need, we need to lay our lives down and say, God, I actually don't really have anything to offer. All I want to do is respond to your grace, and will you give me the righteousness that I need? Verses 5 through 10, this is what Paul continues, and he, he says, okay, if you think you got this understood, let's just continue this a little bit more. It says this, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. Basically, if you're able to do good, like the law says, don't steal, and you're able not to steal, that's what the law is, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them. But verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So what is, what is Paul saying here? I was like, okay, I have to read this. Okay, well, how do I, let me understand what the commentators are actually telling us. And so what the general understanding is that what we want to do is do the work that Christ already has done for us. See, what we want to do is pull Christ. We want to go up to heaven and say, we need a Savior, so we're going to do this on our own effort and bring Jesus down here. Or we want to do the work that Jesus did. And, you know, it says that when he was cut off from the Father, he ascended or he descended. And so what we do is we want to go down to the, the abyss of hell, uh, a.k.a., and bring him back up. And so we want to say, look, 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 look at this work we did. We, we have a representation for us because of the work we did. We pursued Christ in this area. We pursued Christ in this area. And that's not what happened. What Paul is saying, you, the work has already been done for you. The work has already been done. See, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity, got together and said, we understand man cannot keep the law. So Jesus, the Son, willingly comes down from heaven, lives a life that we couldn't live in perfection, being fully God and fully man, dies on a cross for our sins, takes the wrath of God upon himself, and then, and then descends into hell. That's, that's, you know, according to the Apostles' Creed, that's what we understand. That work has already been done. And Paul's saying, why? You want to have to go back and do this. It's already done for you. He continues in verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You don't have to do the work. All we have to do, here, here's our responsibility, friends. God extends salvation to us, and we receive it. That's our job. That's all we have to do. We don't have to get our ducks all in a row before God offers us salvation. We don't have to have all of our history rewritten somehow, that when God looks through our file with our ledger and he goes, mm, bad boy, bad boy, bad boy, okay, good boy, good boy, good boy, okay, I think the good outweighs the bad, all right, I welcome you. No, doesn't do anything. All we do, he does, he comes and he says, I love you, I want you to receive my grace. And we say, okay, God, I receive your grace. I will believe it and I will confess it. That's our, that's our job. That's our responsibility. So number one, we are responsible not to create our own righteousness. But number two, he says it here, we are responsible to believe. We're responsible to believe. Now, 
Uh, Isaiah, a couple of weeks ago, helped us understand these two truths in the Gospels. What we, uh, the Gospel, what we understand is the indicatives and the imperatives. The indicatives are the truths of who God is, the truths of the gospel. These are absolutes about what God has set up and about who he is. And we see that here. That's how this plays out with number two, that we are responsible to believe. These are the truths of the gospel. And look at verses 9 through 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So what is Paul telling us here? Paul is not telling us that we simply just need to um, acknowledge facts about God. There, There are many people who are not Christians but they understand facts about the Bible. They understand facts about God. They understand facts about Jesus. That's not what Paul's encouraging us when he says the word uh, that we are to believe. There's a difference between information and believing in our heart, right? You can, you can know something, but then you can really believe something. You, and, 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 and so what Paul's trying to help us understand here is saying, guys, this isn't just about information. This is about a lifestyle that you're applying to yourself. And, and that's where we go back to religion because what religion would tell us to do is here's all the information, here's all the facts, here's all the stuff you need to know to be a good Christian. Now, good luck, right? All right. And then when have you ever time, you ever kind of forget every once in a while, go back to the Bible. Oh, what does the Bible say? Uh, the Bible says, like, I'm not supposed to lie. Okay, oh, okay, God, remember that. Not lie. Don't lie, all right? Write it on a little yellow tab. Put it on your mirror in the morning. Don't lie today. Yesterday I lied. Today I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. That's not the way that this works in belief. See, belief brings a transformation into our lives, which brings us to the third point is that we are responsible to confess. So first we have the indicatives, the truths, that this is true about who God is. I have a belief, but now it requires a response from me. It requires, now that I have this belief, I have this knowledge, but it's not just information. It's something that's transformed me from the inside out. Now what happens is I begin to confess. And this is what James 2, verse 9 says. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. What is James trying to tell us? You believe in God? What would he do? Demons believe in God. What Paul is trying to help us understand is when we understand truths about who God is, that should change us from the inside out and bring a confession on our lips. Now, confession can be first, maybe our introduction into Christianity, right? Maybe the first time where you surrendered your heart to God and you said, Lord, I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. I want you to be the master of my life. I want want you to speak to me and I I confess that I, I will devote my whole life to you. And whenever I'm tempted to believe certain, certain things about life, when I'm tempted to live my life a certain way, I, will, I remember this confession. And so, the, yes, confession is a moment in time. But confession also, for those of us who may have done that 20, 30, 10, two days ago, it doesn't matter. We live in a constant state of confession. 
We live as worship, as a constant place where we say, Lord, I continue as I believe, I continue to confess. As I believe that you are who you are, the, the imperatives or the indicatives of who you are, the indicatives of the gospel that says it wasn't that I saved myself, is the fact that you came down and you rescued me. Those, those truths, out of your grace, I continue to walk in confession. And so while I did this 20 years ago, I continue to put it ever before me and have to confess that you are Lord, confess that you're my Savior, confess that you're the one that continues to save me, confess that I need you every day. I confess, Lord, that you are all of who I am. Lord, will you help me in this? And that's our responsibility that God's called us to. You guys doing okay? I'm trying to fire hose you because I'm trying to get through all this information. But not only are we responsible to believe and confess, Number four is that we're responsible to proclaim. Verses 14 through 17 say this. How then will they, speaking of those who don't know about God, unbelievers, call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, all of that to say, if we overemphasize God's sovereignty, what we can tend to do is for those of us who are Christians, we go, God's sovereign. I know my neighbor doesn't know Jesus, but God's sovereign. He's in total control. This is me watching TV, right? Flipping the thing. I don't need to tell him about Jesus because either God chose him or he didn't choose him. So, I mean, it doesn't matter what I do. See, we have a responsibility. Paul tells us, how do the two go together? I have no idea. No one knows. But God in his choosing has chosen to sometimes reveal who Jesus is through who? Through you guys. Through me. And when Paul is talking about preaching, he's not talking about Sunday morning only if Kelly or Mike or Isaiah or somebody else is up here preaching. He's not just talking about the preacher on a Sunday morning. When he's talking about preaching, he's talking about you, by the way, at work tomorrow around the water cooler telling somebody about the gospel, about, what did you do this Sunday? Uh, I went to church. You go to church. Why do you go to church? Because God saved me, because I've been rescued, because I was set free, because this and this, and all we're doing is preaching. We're telling the good news, and in the beauty of God's sovereignty and our responsibility, God's encouragement to us who have been saved is to go and tell others about the beauty of Jesus. Well, what if God hasn't chosen that person? Okay. Well, I think Paul answers that. Go back with me to verses 11 through 13. We'll end with this. So God is faithful to respond. So let's kind of do this timeline. God is God. He's holy. 
There's no one like him. He knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. He never had a beginning. He just is. And in that, God is completely sovereign. All things happen according to his will. He's in total control. He's self-sufficient. He needs no one. He's completely glorious. He is the center of all things. He chooses us. And in that, we are responsible to respond to his choosing. That means that we are responsible to submit our lives, to say yes to his calling, to lay our lives down, to confess him, not to build our own religion, not to go back to the way we want it to be and try to build our own structure and ladder trying to get to God, but we continually surrender and we submit to his leading and his guiding. We continually respond to his grace and his will and his ways and his love and his mercy and his justice and all of who he is and his sovereignty. And in that, he calls us to tell others about this process, about how good and how great and how mighty and how worthy and how omnipotent and all-knowing and all-present and all, all the alls of who God is. We declare that when he says, who will tell them if they don't know? It's you. It's got to be you. Well, what if, what if in God's sovereignty, what if somehow God's going to choose to be grumpy with that person or me? Maybe there's people in this room here this morning who are saying, yeah, I get it, Kelly, you're saying God's sovereignty is in total control. What if, what if in God's sovereignty, maybe somehow he's going to overlook me on purpose? Paul tells us this in verses 11 through 13. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Isn't that awesome? And, and sometimes as preachers, we overpromise things that are in the Bible. Like, hey, do this and this, and then this will happen. This is not an overpromise, okay? Verse 12, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. No more is it about like a special group of people anymore. It's in spite of people who weren't first chosen. For the same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing his riches on who? On all who call on him. And here's the beauty, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What if God's not choosing me? What if God's rejected me? It feels like my life, if I look at my circumstances, look at the things in my life, if I look at the parents he gave me, if I look at my bank account, if I look at all my history, it seems like God has rejected me. If I call on him and ask for his rescue, Will he save me? Yes. 100% will save you. You may be sitting here this morning and thinking like, mm, I'm here because somebody invited me. I'm here because I have a nominal relationship with God. I'm here because I'm doing the Christian thing. I go to church, etc., etc. Let me, let me encourage you this morning, if that's where you're at this morning. Maybe, maybe you're here because you're super stoked to be here. Maybe you're here because you're all in. If, if you're, you're kind of on the fence or if you're completely all in, both of those reasons are because God has been wooing you to himself. 
is because God has been saying, from the beginning, I knew you and I formed you and I, I thought about you and I, I knew you would be born in this home and whether it would be easy or hard, I knew that you would have these circumstances, whether they were great or terrible, I knew that these kind of things would happen to you, I knew about all that and in that, I love you and in that, I chose you. And in that, I, I've, I've destined you to be here for this very Sunday morning, the first Sunday of March 2020, to hear a message that if you call on me, I will be faithful to answer. I will be faithful. All you have to say is, oh, I just need you, God. And that's for those of us who feel far from God and those of us who feel like he's just right next to us because those of us who feel like he's right next to us have to continue to say, God, I need you. God, I call on you. God, I'm going to go through this tomorrow. I have this and I have this. And God says, I'm faithful to show up. I'm faithful to you. And for me, this helps me answer all the what ifs. Well, what if God, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. Just call on him. Just call on him. He's faithful to respond. Will you stand this morning?